What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Welcome to the Pacers Podcast, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Indy Stars beat reporter James Boyd. James, thanks for coming coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I know it's been like in the works for a while. You guys reached out to me right after I got the job, so I appreciate the support. And I had no idea there were Pacers fans all the way uh, in, in Australia. So it's pretty cool to see how global the NBA game is. I've had, you know, fans reach out from all over the world, Brazil, um, you know, even some of the Asian countries. So it has definitely been fun. And I'm glad to, you know, that you all have me on. For sure. That's great. Yeah. In Australia, I think the three of us who run the Pace Roos podcast, we're probably the only three Indiana fans in, in Australia, <laughs> but um, NBA is very popular over here. And firstly, can, can you understand my accent? Okay. Yes, I can. Yeah, no, I, I told you uh, before we started the podcast that I talked to Kiefer Sykes' uh, NBL coach uh, down under, as he, as he told me. And, um, you know, the accent's fine. Everyone just calls me mate when I was talking to doing the interviews for the Kiefer Sykes story. But it was cool, man. No worries at all. Beautiful, beautiful. So we'll just get started. Obviously, you're, I suppose... You probably don't think you're new to the Indie Star Beat Reporter with everything you've had to go through in the job, but um, tell me about your experience uh, from getting the job and everything you've kind of entailed. I'm sure you love the job, but just give us some insight into your day-to-day, I suppose. Yeah, so it's funny you said some insight. Um, the plan is to, like, going into next season make, like, a TikTok account or something so I could, like, show people, like, hey, this is what it's like when you – you know, it's trade deadline and, and, and Adrian Wojnarowski releases something that ruins your entire day. So um, I think for me, the biggest thing is probably just to travel. Um, it's fun. I enjoy it. Obviously, you get to get to a lot of different places. You go all around the U.S. and up to Toronto as well. Um, but it's a grind. Like, it is a grind. Um, you know, waking up at 3 a.m., you know, catching a flight at 6 a.m. And then, you know, getting to the city, you know, going to the hotel, taking a two or three hour power nap. And, you know, but then sometimes there's news breaks, you can't go to sleep. And then, you you know, you got to keep going and keep going and get to the game. And, you know, it's a very fast paced job. Um, you're never really off, like even on my off days, like if something happens, if a guy gets cut, if someone gets traded, if someone gets injured, um, if, if someone wins an award, like even, you know, just last night, I was planning to go um, visit one of my friends here in Chicago and uh, they announced the, uh, all NBA uh, rookie teams and Chris Duarte was on the second team. I'm like, I texted her. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry, but like, give me like 20 minutes. I got to write this thing up about Chris Duarte because it just came out. So for me, it's just getting used to just the travel and how nonstop the NBA beat is. I did previously, I did high school, I did college and they usually like break news or have things happen during business hours. But the NBA is like just all hours of the night, all hours of the day. I remember during the trade deadline, I did not want to sleep because you don't want to go yeah. to sleep and miss something that, it, that could have happened. So, um, you know, just crazy times, but definitely blessed to be in this position because it's a job you dream to have and, and one that I don't take for granted for sure. Yeah, and that's a great segue. I was going to ask you about, you mentioned Chris Duarte and one of your interviews that kind of went semi-viral was asking LeBron about Chris Duarte. And I know you've had good interviews with Steph Curry as well. How, how surreal is that talking to, I suppose, the biggest athletes in the world? Yeah, so I think for me, it hit me like afterwards. So you're in the moment and you're just thinking, just don't screw it up. You know, you don't want to yeah. mess up, you know, your, your one question. Because, I mean, it's not like I cover the Lakers. I don't cover the Warriors. So, like, they might come to town one time or, or you know, obviously they come to town once and they go on the road once. But 
you might get one chance a year to ask him a question. So you just can't blow it. Um, but afterward, when I chopped the clip, put it on Twitter, that's when it kind of hit me like, oh man, like I'm really here. Like I just talked to a guy or two guys who are the greatest ever, you know, that, that are going to be future hall of famers that can retire right now and be first ballot hall of famers. So um, that was definitely surreal. And I think for me also seeing them up close in person, even for like warm up or something like that, Giannis is in that same realm. Like the level of fame is just insane. Like at all-star weekend, they had media availability for all the all-stars um, and they had a room that, that was supposed to fit all the all-stars, but specifically for Giannis, LeBron and Steph, they put them in completely different rooms because everyone knows like all 50 or hundred NBA reporters that are there, everyone's got a question for Steph Curry or LeBron James. And, and so, yeah, I definitely went viral off that at fans and friends and family back home who were, you know, telling me I made it and, and I was big time now, but nah, it definitely was uh, more cool for them than for me. Sure. And I think because of that, it made it really, really cool for me because I was able to share that moment with so many of like my high school friends, you know, former coaches, teammates, stuff like that. So it was definitely a full circle moment, mainly because like you just never think it's going to happen. You know, I wasn't thinking about interviewing Steph Curry and LeBron back when they were, you know, duking it out in the finals. I was just a fan. So mm. now I've stepped into a different role and you just, you're around legends every day. Yeah, that's tr truly amazing. It, we had um, Jeremiah Johnson on the podcast not long ago, and he mentioned uh, his favorite player to interview was Justin Holiday when he was on the Pacers. Did you do you have a current Pacer favorite who gives you you know good insight or you know a certain player you love interviewing? Yeah, so currently on the team right now, I'll probably say Dwayne Washington Jr. Yeah. He's just a ball of positivity, um, but he's also a pretty real dude. Like he's. He's a straight shooter, um, you know, got some things I'm working on, hopefully to get out there um, about him and his upbringing and his NBA journey. Um, but he was he was a blast. I mean, one of the most gracious guys you ever meet. Um, one of the things you pick up on when you're traveling a lot with the team, you just see what certain guys do. And Dwayne's one of those guys like every arena, every city, he, he'll find like a fan who may not even know who he is. And he'll like pass him the ball and they'll pass it back and he'll shoot it in warm ups or he'll go dap him up or he'll sign something. Um, so he's just a guy that I enjoy talking to because he's so down to earth, so humble and, um, you know, keeps things in pretty good perspective. Like he always says he has the best job in the world. And I don't think you can really argue with him when the guy looks that happy on a basketball court all the time. So um, definitely him. And I haven't had like a bad time with any of the, any of the guys. But one of the funniest things is that, you know, DeMontis Sabonis, like when he got traded for Tyrese Halliburton, they're like night and day. So Halliburton's like, you know, pretty open, you know, pretty big personality. And like Sabonis, he's not mean or anything. He's just so like, like just like nonchalant about everything. Not even in a bad way. He just doesn't, he never says like how good he is. Like if he has, if Halliburton scores 30, I'm like, man, you were cooking tonight. He's like, yeah, you know, my shot was going this and that. And I asked Sabonis the same thing. And he's just like, um, yeah, I just did my job. And yeah. I'm like, um, Sabonis, you can say you did better than your job. You know, he had a 25 rebound triple double earlier this year. You know, first player to do that since Shaq. And I told him, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm happy to be you know recognized. And that's it. So, you know, you get different vibes from different guys, but they, they've all been pretty good. The biggest thing, as long as you're just a straight shooter with your questions, you don't try to mix them up with anything like ridiculous. Um, you know, it all works out pretty fine.
You mentioned at the end there you don't try and mix it up with something ridiculous. Have you have you been caught out yet or you've you've done No, I have. I have. So like I remember asking they had they had lost to the Miami Heat with like none of their like I think Kyle Lowry and Bam were out. It might have been like the second or third time like that week they lost to a team that just you know didn't really have any other any of their main guys and I'm like how are they losing? And I asked uh Chris Duarte, which was Looking back, I should have asked the question better, but I think I asked him something like, how frustrating is it to know they don't have their top two guys and you still can't get the win? Yeah. This is rookie Chris Duarte. I mean, in hindsight, I should have asked this to like a veteran, you know, someone who's a team leader as opposed to like the rookie. <laughs> um, and I remember posting the clip on Twitter because Chris was like, uh, I don't know how to answer that. That's right. Yeah. And so everyone just ate me alive. My mentions were on fire. People were telling me I was terrible at my job. (laughs) Horrible person. Why would you do that? You know, you know, you know, just all types of ridiculous things. Uh, I'm not that type of guy, but it's all a learning experience too, right? So you can't get every question right. And I told him, I was like, it's just like basketball in a sense. Like you're not going to make every shot you take. Every question you ask isn't going to be a great question. You just learn from it and move on. But yeah, that was one where, I was like, all right, James, like make sure like going forward, you know, you, you get better or you ask questions more clearly um, so that, you know, you don't get uh, chewed out by, by Patriots Twitter, but they'll chew me out for anything anyway. So it's all, it's all in good fun and love. <laughs> don't, don't let it get you too down because uh, never. Man, never. Uh, coming from a fan, I remember that Miami game and it was disgusting. So I actually didn't mind the question because Something had to be asked to that nature. Maybe you're right, Chris Duarte wasn't the guy, but that game was downright awful. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part that people don't really understand. Um, like, I engage a lot on Twitter. Um, I do it as often as I can just because I feel like if I'm writing stuff and you all are reading it, I don't want to be the guy that just posts, you know, articles or quotes and never actually, like, engage with people that, you know, that help pay my bills. So um, the trade-off with that, though, is that people confuse and think that I'm supposed to be a fan. It's like, no. I'm supposed to be the most objective one in the room. You know, obviously I have my biases and things like that, but when it comes to asking questions, sometimes I have to ask that question that's, you know, uncomfortable, that may not put the team in a favorable light. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's the job. So the way I look at it is I won't go out of my way to ask negative questions or put players or coaches or GMs on the spot. However, if the team performs like it did that game, I have no choice but to put you on the spot and get to the bottom of it. And again, I think the players and coaches and GMs that I've interacted with and front office people that I've interacted with the Pacers um, appreciate my ability to just, you know, be a straight shooter, um, be forthcoming, and um, also just have fun with it. Like, there's pretty uh, pretty lighthearted questions in there whenever I can, you know, asking who's the best dunker, who's the best dresser, that type of thing. And um, it keeps it light. For sure, for sure. And I suppose most of our listeners uh, tuning in to this podcast will we want to hear about all your or your week in Chicago so far and how the combine's going and any paces related news. Is there any any players or draftees that have stuck out to you watching or interviewing? Um, what's your sense around the paces kind of um, nest with what's happening? Yeah, so I think the paces are in a very unique spot. Um, a lot has been reported already right after the draft. Um, you know, Kevin Pritchard came out and said, hey, you know, we got a lot of options here. We can keep the number six pick. Um, we could, you know, try to move up or, or we could, you know, package that with another, another player to get like a young player. So um, there's a lot of options on the table, but for specifically for draft prospects, um, we had a chance to talk to Keegan Murray today. 
a lot of the top guys did not make themselves available. So like there was no Chet, no Paolo, um, you know, uh, Jay Nivey didn't speak to the media, which again, this is all pretty normal um, for the top guys. But Keegan Murray talked for like 25 minutes. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that, um, and actually I'm putting forward in the piece, I guess you all can have the scoop first. Um, it'll be out pretty soon. Um, but one of the things I was talking to Keegan Murray about, many of us were, was like this whole thing about him not having much upside. Now I get that he's not this explosive athlete. I get that he's not as young as his other counterparts, but he's 21 and he averaged 23 points a game in the Big Ten, one of the best conferences in the country. And um, he took a huge leap from going from, you know, a role player as a freshman to one of the arguably the best player in the country as a sophomore. And, and he's still six foot eight with a really good jump shot. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't I don't like the narrative that he doesn't have an upside or, or it does he have the superstar potential? Because at the end of the day, the draft is still a crapshoot. I mean, yeah. of course, everyone wants the number one pick. And, and statistically speaking, if you're just picking in the top five, you have a much greater chance of getting like that perennial all star, that franchise cornerstone. However, um, you can't just go based off of, okay, he's 18, he's athletic, he's going to be a star. I mean, you, it never really works that way. So I think that it was cool to talk to Keith Murray, get his thoughts on him. He told me, you know, hey, I think my ceiling is as high as anybody else in this draft. And he should feel that way. He's 22, he's going to be 22, he's 21 now. He'll be 22 before the season starts. And that's plenty of time to still be a really good player. Um, but I think Patriots fans are just kind of worried about getting a Chris Duarte type who might not be like a star, a plug and play type of guy. But I do think that Keegan Murray has a ton of upside and could be a really, really good pro um, for years and years and years to come. So he's one guy that we talked to, talked to Benedict uh, Matherin from, you know, Arizona as well. Um, he was a fun interview. Um, I got to do some more research on him. Um, I did not know he was from, you know, he's from, you know, Canada, but he went and played in, in Mexico with the basketball uh, without borders. Um, I think Academy or something like that. I'm not too familiar. Um, and now obviously went to Arizona and became a star. Um, so again, these are two target players for the Pacers that were available that could talk to us and were willing to talk to us. So that was fun. And I think um, those two could very well be in a Pacers uniform. It just comes down to centralizing who you want and how realistic the Pacers are about moving up. Because from what KP told us, um, you know, it sounds like they're at least going to look at what could they do to enter that top five range. That kind of follows on to my next question for you. Maybe it's a bit more of a prediction for you, not maybe inside knowledge. But do you see with everything Kevin Pritchard's saying in the media that he's kind of willing to swing for the fences and move maybe the sixth pick and the 31st pick or, you know, the future Cleveland pick next year to move up to the third or fourth pick this year? Do you think that's a realistic option? I think it's realistic. I will say that I think it's more unlikely to happen than likely. And I say that because to me, there isn't like that one or two bona fide stars. Like, you know, with the year that John Morant and Zion Williamson came out of the draft, you knew if you were picking one and two, you were getting a star. Now, obviously, RJ Barrett has been really good at number three. He's, he's come along a little bit later. But those two, when healthy, are, are superstars. And so I don't feel that way about this draft um, and the players that are in this draft. I think that there is not that one number one consensus guy that you take no matter what that's going to be a star, no matter what. Um, I think a lot of these guys um, have a ton of upside, could be superstars, who knows. But they're not, to me, like surefire 
you know, I know this guy is going to be the man. So I think because of that, they will be more likely to keep the pick and, you know, swing for a guy like Keegan Murray, who could be a safe bet. I think at the end of the day, Keegan Murray, you can plug him in and be, he'd be a really good pro like right now. But then they also have to think about, you know, if a guy like Jaden Ivey's available, who's an explosive athlete, looks kind of like the second coming to John Morant, or, you know, if a guy like Shaden Sharp, you know, from Kentucky, hasn't played in a year, but he's, he's got really, you know, a really high, you know, praise from NBA scouts, even though he hasn't, you know, played in a college game or played a game in over a year, would the Pacers swing for the fences with him? So um, that, to me, is probably the bigger decision is, like, do you go with, you know, Benedict, Keegan, the safer guys, maybe their upside isn't as high, or do you go with, you know, the freak athletes like Shaden, um, like uh, uh, Jaden, and, and try to swing for the fences and get that next level dynamic, you know, superstar potential guy. So these are the moments where I'm glad I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the guy, you know, tasked with doing this because the thing that I kind of hate about the media or at least um, about the way we view it now is like everyone looks up what like, you know, Giannis was picked 15 when he came out, I think believe in 2013. And it's like, no one knew Giannis was going to be Giannis. Otherwise he went number one. So we're going to look back on this draft in, in five or 10 years and say, hey, whoever was picked at the eighth spot or the sixth spot, they're stars, but the guys who's picked at number four isn't. So, I mean, it's all, again, a crapshoot. It's not guaranteed. But I, I think that the Pacers will keep their pick um, and do a lot of research with, you know, regarding that pick and um, try to swing for the fences and, and try to get someone um, who is, you know, able to be plugged in right away. Um, and, and, and be a productive player. So, again, I think that it's more likely that they have a guy like Benedict or, or Keegan rather than a Shaden or, or, or Jaden. But I do believe if Jaden drops, I don't know if he'll drop. That's the other thing. It's like a lot of this stuff is fit-based. I think if Jaden Ivy becomes available at the sixth spot, he's going to be a pacer. Yeah. But it's just like, is he going to last that long? So that, that kind of excites me because it's not set in stone. Um, who's going to go where, but I think that the Pacers will keep that pick. And if anything, um, because they don't have um, the Cavs pick this year, um, if they were not to have like a strong season again, end up back in the lottery, then they could take that lottery pick paired with, you know, potentially the Cavs pick and another pick to move up in next year's draft. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds and more, and boom, you have a shot and an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the Same Game Parlay with three or more legs, and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, that's a really good good answer there because I was going to ask you about three or four follow-up questions, but you answered it all in one. So uh, I was going to ask going to talk about Jaden Ivey because it seems like Pace's Twitter, although sometimes they're wrong. A lot of the time they are, but Jaden Ivey seems like Pace's Twitter's favourite. They want him and they were disappointed with getting the sixth pick because they might 
feel that Jaden Ivey is going to get drafted to the Kings or Detroit before then. Mm-hmm. So um, I was going to ask you if you think he, if he's, if Jaden Ivey's on the board, would Pacers select him at six? I think so. I think just because he's so explosive. Like yeah. I look at him and I'm like, okay, that's a guy who has the stuff you can't teach, explosive. Um, his change of pace is amazing. He's got really, you know, um, a quick burst when it comes off the dribble. And in the NBA, though, there's a bigger court. You'll have more spacing. Um, the defense is a little bit different because guys can really shoot the ball in the NBA. So they have more space to get downhill. Um, I think the thing, I think the biggest thing with Jaden is just um, being able to put it all together. Um, there were spurs throughout his college career where you're like, all right, he looks a little out of control. You know, is, is, is his attentiveness all the way there on offense and defense? But if we're talking about just sheer potential, his upside is probably as good as anybody in the draft just because he's such a freak athlete. And um, even talking to Travion Williams, his, his college teammate at Purdue today, you know, he was saying, like, you know, he just cares so, so much. He's so fiery. And that's kind of what you need if you want to hand the keys to a young guard. Um, the thing with him is just, is he going to be there? Like you said, like, that's the, the one thing. I don't know. I, I would think that the, the Kings might consider not taking him because they just traded away Tyrese Halliburton because of the whole two, you know, combo guard dynamic um, and, and sending Tyrese Halliburton to the Pacers. So um, I would say that they probably think about, you know, hey, fit, you know, is Keegan Murray a better fit for us than Jaden Ivey? Um, but I don't know. Like, we'll see. I know Pacers fans – and Purdue fans, they kind of overlap. So you're going to get a lot of fans that say, like, we want Jaden Knight. That's the only guy we ever want. You know, he's going to be great. But I just know, um, you know, the moment a player messes up or doesn't do something well, they turn. So it's like they're all excited now, but just let the process play out. And whoever the Pacers get, like, please, you know, give the guy more than, like, a summer league game before you flood my mentions and tell me, you know, he's a bust or he's the next greatest thing. So – We'll see. But Jaden, I mean, I saw him at the, the, the lottery. Um, a lot of teams talked to him, obviously. A lot of interviews, I'm sure he's probably already lined up with teams. I'm assuming the Pacers will probably be able to get in and talk to him at least. And um, we'll see. But he's the one, I think the top three are Chet, Paolo, and Jabari. That's like the, the three, I think, that will be gone for sure in the top three. I think Jaden, you know, Shaden, um, you know, uh, Benedict, Keegan, they all could kind of switch around in what position they end up landing and obviously what position they'll be in for the Pacers to pick them. Yeah, awesome. And I guess predicting what Sacramento Kings are going to do on draft night is uh, you never you never know, do you? So. Never know, man. Never know. I mean, and then this is the, but as I was telling someone, like the Kings drafted, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton 12th overall. He ended up being a rookie of the year finalist. If mm. you can redo that draft, he's not going 12th overall. So again, there's really good talent and, and potential superstar talent, you know, anywhere in that lottery range. So it's funny when people say like, oh, my God, like we fell out of the top six or we fell out of whatever our team, my favorite team did, did, did this or did that. And it's like, relax, because now, you know, the, the point guard of your future with the Pacers was the 12th overall pick. And when he came to the Pacers, he averaged like 17 and 10 on 50, 40 and 80. You know, 50% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line. So, I mean, those are good numbers for a 12th overall pick. So, there's talent out there. I just think that, again, there's just not that one clear-cut star, and it's kind of put everyone on edge. Oh, and it's like from a Pacers perspective as well, you talk about draft night and 
you know, I expect to see it in a month's time with the overreactions, you know, we pace is booed Reggie Miller. They I remember the <laughs> I remember the Paul George draft night. That that oh, that was a terrible pick, Paul George. What who is this guy? And it's like, well, you know, you just the overreactions, and I'm sure your mentions are gonna be flooded draft night, so you might oh, want to use that mute button. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um the one thing that people don't really understand is when like I tweet something out. Um, I, I've gotten used to it now, but like when I first started, you know, you could tweet something about the team and you might get 50 comments or like, you know, a hundred likes or something on Twitter. It's like, I can't respond to everybody. Yeah. I'm looking forward to like that discourse. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to possibly trolling a few fans, you know, just cause that's what I do. Um, even after the Pacers fell from, well, not fell, but like they didn't, they didn't, didn't get into that top four. I tweeted out a picture of Sabonis, and I was like, hey, did you take the lottery luck with them? Because as you know, the Kings moved up to that top four spot. They're supposed to be like, like seventh or something like that. So um, it was fun. People, some people take it, you know, uh, well, and they, they fire back. Some people get a little mad. and they, But I think at the end of the day, as long as you remember it's just basketball, like you're, it's okay to be passionate, you'll be just fine. Um, I'm looking forward to it, though, because when I started this season, the expectation – or last season, the expectation was – for the Pacers to be like, you know, that a bottom tier playoff team. And then the wheels kind of fell off and everything completely changed. So I feel like I've experienced so much within my first real season on the beat with still so much to learn and experience. So obviously my first draft is going to be a big, big deal. And, um, you know, shout out to my mom because I have to go get a suit for it. So <laughs> uh, it'll, be, it'll be a fun time. For sure. For sure. I'll, I've got two or three more questions and then I'll let you go. But are you hearing anything on the free agent front? I know there's some names I've seen on Twitter come up in the paces, like Jalen Brunson, the paces might be interested, you know, with the way Phoenix ended their season and DeAndre Ayton, there's a bit of turmoil there with the Suns. Are you, are you hearing any names that the paces are interested in possibly? Because they've got a lot of cap space. Yeah, so um, I'm still, like, obviously, I'm still working on build my sources internally within the league, within the Pacers. Yeah. But I have heard, obviously, and I've looked at, you know, what a possible Jalen Brunson trade would look like or what a DeAndre thing would look like. Um, I think that they should consider, you know, looking at the DeAndre Aiden situation, at least putting their ear to it. Um, because he's a, I mean, he's a really young, really good player. He's young. Um, do I think that he's a superstar? No, I think he's a star. I think he's a really good player. Um, but I think whenever a guy like him becomes available, you have to look. And I know fans will be like, you know, you know, what's the likelihood of us getting a max player? What's the likelihood of him coming to Indiana? It would have to be more like a sign and trade type of thing. Um, but I think for the Pacers specifically, they really have to focus on what they can acquire in the draft or what they can acquire with their draft assets. Now, can you trade for another young player like a Tyrese Halliburton um, who's, you know, uh, maybe on, on a rookie scale deal and it's not as monetarily um binding as, as a DeAndre Aiden contract. Um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, one of the things that I have to consider. Um, I, have, I have heard about Jalen Brunson as well. I think that I'm a little less, you know, high on Jalen Brunson, not because of who he is, but because of how he will fit with this team. I, I personally want to see the Pacers make a concerted effort in free agency to go get, you know, some 3 and D guys, some guys that are, that are really good, at perimeter defense because the offense to me isn't the issue. I mean, their offense, they were averaging, you know, 110, 120 points a game 
with Halliburton running the show, they're giving up 140 and 130 and losing. So to me, it's like you're going to get Miles Turner back. You know, he's going to stretch the four, obviously, with three-point ability, but he's going to help anchor the defense. But you have to give him or surround your team with other perimeter defenders that can help, you know, be a little more stout on defense. That way you can actually benefit from having, a, you know, a higher-level offense. So I think their targets in the offseason should be really – Three and D guys, um, or possibly, like you said, a DeAndre Aiden type who might be interested in a, in a sign and trade. But the thing with him is, if you sign and trade for him, you also have to factor in like, are we making this deal knowing that he's gonna he's gonna sign an extension right away, or do you make that deal and it's like one season and he could leave again? You know what I mean? So I think that that's unlikely to happen. I don't think that the Pacers would pay him all that much money. Um, they're still a more small market team. But I do think free agent wise, um, I think that the bigger moves is obviously going to be looking at, you know, is there a free agent out there or is there a player out there that you um, like and then you look at what you have to go get them. So for me, it'll be interesting to see if a guy like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon remains with this team beyond the summer. Um, he's the one where I feel like he might not fit the timeline. Like, all these guys are pretty young. Even Miles Turner's like 25 or 26. Malcolm Brogdon is 29. So if you get it, if you're able to draft a Jaden Ivey, if you draft a Shaden Sharp, you know, who's going to be in that guard spot, to me, that basically says, like, we're going to move Malcolm Brogdon and, and, and see what else we can get in return for a really good player who's aging and also who's kind of struggled with, you know, being healthy, being available for the team. So to me, it's less likely to happen on, like, the free agency front than it is to happen like through a trade for a guy like, you know, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, for instance. So, um, and even Buddy Heald, like if you bring in a Keegan Murray type, do you look at the minutes that Buddy Heald has gotten and say, hey, you know, can we go get another young player or some other draft assets for him? Or do we keep him to play him alongside these guys? So um, there's a lot of options obviously to weigh, but I think that again, the bigger moves I see the Patriots making will be in, in, you know, some type of trade rather than like going out and trying to sign a guy just as a straight up free agent. Yeah, it's good. I feel like you've got a copy of my question sheet because everything I've got written down, <laughs> answering it in the one. And I don't know if you want to touch on it anymore. You can say you've answered it. But I personally feel like this Malcolm Brogdon situation is being swept under the rug a bit. Like we, when we traded in for Halliburton, I think that was a sign to say, hey, we might be wanting to move in a different direction here. I remember the day Malcolm Brogdon got traded or signed to the Pacers and Kevin Pritchard said, this is a like groundbreaking day for our franchise. It seems like it's moved a bit away from that and things haven't gone to plan. Do you, if you had a prediction, do you see him being a Pacer opening night or you feel like, you know, there's too much uncertainties right now to call that? I would say it's too much right now. Um, I would say like, honestly, you would ask me like the minute we find out what pick they have in the draft and if they actually like keep the pick. Because to me, if they if they end up, again, drafting Shaden Sharp, drafting Jaden Ivey, um, I personally would be thinking, like, Malcolm Brogdon's probably not going to be here. Um, mainly because, to me, if you're going to draft a guy in the first round, in the top ten, um, you have to be willing to give him minutes right away. Like, even if the team struggles, um, I think, you know, you as a Patriots fan, others as Patriots fans, would appreciate the team for at least putting their young guys out there and letting them kind of learn on the fly. Like you don't want to draft a guy to have him sit behind Malcolm Brogdon, who's proven he's a very good NBA player when he's healthy, but why draft him to sit him 
and kind of stun his growth. Like you want to draft him and play him. And if the season isn't that great, so what? Like, I don't think people expect the Pacers to like automatically bounce back and be like a great team and go to Eastern Conference Finals. They did with Paul George like next season because you drafted, you know, a 20 year old. But, you know, if you do draft him, I do think that you want to give them a good amount of minutes those first, you know, one, two, three years. That way, you know, when it when it comes that time for maturation and you feel like Halliburton's blossoming and you feel like Miles Turner may have taken another step forward and you feel like your draft pick has taken a step forward, you can say, okay, now we got a real extra shot to get into the playoffs, make some noise. So I think, you know, after draft now, we'll know a lot about where this team is going. And, and one thing I do want to throw out there, and I put it in a piece recently, is like, you know, if they seriously want to move up, I don't think that the number six pick, number 31 pick, and I think they have 58 this year, and even like the Cavs, you know, kind of pick that they have or don't have, I don't think that that's enough to get into that top four, top five. I think that that's when Malcolm Brogdon would have to seriously be considered like, okay, we're talking to teams, we'll give you Malcolm Brogdon and this number six pick and something else to then move up and get the guy that we want. So I think that that's where he comes in more um, likely. So um, we'll see, but I think that he's like the one guy where I feel like it's not necessarily, you know, fitting that timeline. You look at the roster. I mean, you got Chris Duarte, you know, Isaiah Jackson, both of them going to their sophomore years. You got O'Shea Brissett, who's going to his fourth year. You got Dwayne and Terry Taylor, you know, who earned NBA contracts, who you know, were undrafted rookies. You got Tyrese Halliburton, obviously, who's entering his third season. So, I mean, these are all guys who are really, really, really young. And, and the two older guys, three older guys, is Buddy Heald, who to me adds more, a little more value than, than Malcolm Brogdon because he's, one, always healthy, doesn't miss games, and he can really shoot the ball from three. You kind of need that, that floor spacing. And then you got Miles Turner, who, who's going to be 25, 26, still young. The foot injuries kind of concern me. You kind of have to, you know, if he gets hurt again, you have to really think about the future of him. But if he can come back and be healthy, I think you have your pieces for the future. You have to look at Malcolm Brogdon and even him. I don't know if he wants to go through another rebuilding season or something like that. You might want to look at him and say, hey, we can get you to a team that's going to be in playoff contention and maybe we can get something in return from them that will help them, you know, in the long term. So um, I'm excited about it. I know Kevin Pritchard mentioned a lot. The word he kept using is optionality, optionality. I'm like getting my thesaurus out. Like, what the heck does that mean? Um, But, yeah, it should be fun, man. I'm excited about it. Because like I said, like it's been such a whirlwind to learn and and be thrown kind of in the fire. And I think that because of that, it's all made me a better reporter, better writer, and just made me more um, invested in the NBA and what information I'm able to bring you all. So I'm going to, you know, stock out some some hopefully some execs and, and teams and, and, and personnel tomorrow and get some more information I can, you know, post to the website. And yeah, it'll be fun. For sure. Well, yeah, I know it's late in Chicago, so I will let you go. You've done um, a terrific job, I think, since taking over the Pacers beat reporter for Indy Star. And um, I'm sure every Pacers fan who follows us would follow you, but maybe just want to give a shout out or where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me at Romeoville Kid. That's where I'm from, Romeoville, Illinois, R-O-M-E-O-V-I-L-L-E, Kid. Um, that's on Twitter, Instagram. Um don't add me on Facebook, but if you do, <laughs> I might accept you. Um, but yeah, I mean, feel free to, you know, uh, add me, tag me, message me, email me, do whatever you like. All, all my information is pretty out there. 
Um, I'm a pretty open person and I definitely try to, like I said, engage with you all, which is why I think it's cool that you value me on the podcast. It's like, you know, whatever I can do to make sure you kind of know that I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a human, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just this guy who turns out words. Um, I like sharing my thoughts. I like talking about the Pacers because it's my job and it's, it's one of the best jobs in the world. Word to Dwayne Washington. He says it all the time and I view it in a similar vein. You know, I wanted to be an NBA player, but you know, an NBA writer is the next best thing and I'm having a blast. I think that's what we're all in this for. We all wanted to be NBA players just like me. I'm a podcaster, so <laughs> you just get the best level you can. But now, really, oh appreciate- man, I saw you know it's in the story. It's coming out soon. And Keegan Murray said to this day, so I'm five foot ten, and he said he was five foot ten as a sophomore in high school, and by the time he graduated high school, two years later, he was six eight. So you know, I'm jealous of you, Keegan Murray. I was five foot ten as a junior in high school. And I'm still five foot ten, you know, ten years later. So it is what it is. For sure. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it for you hopping on real late at night in Chicago for a, you know, a podcast in Australia. We really do appreciate it, and uh, we're hoping to get over next season for a couple of games. So if we do, we'll have to catch up for a beer. Yes, sir, man. You know, hit me up anytime, and we'll make sure to make it happen. Legend. All right. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Yeah.